Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy, and joined today by site manager of Dem- the Denver Stiffs, the SB Nation Denver Nuggets blog. Wow, couldn't really speak there for a sec. But it's Ryan Blackburn, an old friend of ours who we had on this summer when the, after the Nuggets had come back from down 3-1 against the Clippers and we were all wallowing in Sixers' misery and needed something positive to talk about. But now the Sixers are currently in a better standing than the Nuggets, uh, but we're not just going to rub that into Ryan the whole time. It is time for the Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid debate. Sean, Ryan, how, how, do you, how are you doing, and are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been quite the interesting few months for, for Denver, for Philly, uh, man, that's Seth Curry trade really looking for good for you guys. I, I don't say so myself. <laughs> yeah, especially, I mean, there wasn't as much ill will towards Josh Richardson as there was Al Horford, but man, like Al Horford kind of still looks good with the Thunder. Jay Rich is like, the, I don't know if you guys saw the Mavs win over the Hawks last night. The Mavs basically turned around and they benched Jay Rich for Hardaway Jr. and Jalen Brunson, but his shot has not come back. But yeah, so that, that trade did work out pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, I think I saw that Josh yeah. is shooting 29% from three this year. Just the, the, the strides he made back with Miami has, has not uh, – it's kind of gone the other way the last couple of years, unfortunately. But still time to turn things around for him. Definitely some time to turn it around. But And two guys who have turned it around, you know, they were never bad per se, but both Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic have stepped up this year to the point where – they're no longer just top 10 players or really good players, even all NBA caliber players. These are two MVP candidates. And if you ask like certain people, you'd say they are the top two right now. Although I did want to touch on this. Did you guys see the ESPN poll, the hundred members of the media? I, be- I would have to guess probably the hundred who have votes, although I don't know if I remember that correctly, but basically a hundred media members asking for their MVP ballots as of right now, probably about a third of the way through the season. LeBron James won said poll with 53 first place votes. Embiid was second. Nikola Jokic was third. And then there was a big drop off to Kevin Durant at fourth and Kawhi Leonard at five. And those really are the five. But then, as you can see, there's a clear separation between LeBron, Jokic, and Embiid and everybody else as the top three right now. Embiid was the only one to get a top five vote from every single one of the 100 voters. There was one voter who did not have LeBron in his top five. And Two voters who did not have Nikola Jokic in their top five. Ryan, I will allow you, you to say mean things about the two who did not vote for Nikola Jokic in anywhere in their top five. 
I, I think that's just patently absurd, honestly. <laughs> like just having having watched this guy and having understood kind of the dynamic behind what makes the Nuggets the Nuggets right now, they're 14 and 11. And actually, uh, no, they're 13 and 11, excuse yeah. me. And it's uh, it's been a struggle of a season, partially because there, there's been so much turnover, partially because they're trying to work in Michael Porter Jr. into things, partially because Jamal Murray has been hurt pretty much the entire season ever since Jay Sean Tate elbowed him in the face and, and knocked him to the ground. And it was, it was kind of bad. Uh, and that's, that's kind of derailed pretty much everything that the Nuggets have wanted to do. But Jokic has been the, the beacon of light that has helped the Nuggets stay afloat. They would not be anywhere close to the level of team that they currently are right now uh, without Jokic putting up the numbers that he has. He just put up 50 on the, on the Sacramento Kings. He put up 47 against Rudy Gobert. Like, it is unbelievable what, he, what he's been doing. And, and I think they're, if you're talking about two voters that haven't had him in their top five, basically what you're saying is you haven't watched him. I mean, you raise a good point. And I, I did go back and I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched that Nuggets-Kings game. And, I mean, Jokic is obviously incredible, but, like, Michael Porter Jr., who I still think is very good, especially offensively, and it's the same thing everyone says, but, man, like, he could not guard Harrison Barnes straight up at all. Just constantly, like, you know, I, of his shoes. It, it was just not good. I, I will say in, in Porter's defense, nobody could guard Harrison Barnes. It was Will Martin. <laughs> it was Paul Millsap. It was Jermichael Green. It was Monte Morris. It was especially Michael Porter Jr. But Harrison Barnes was in his bag that day. And, and like, but look, like that's the position that Michael Porter Jr. has to guard. And so if you can't guard Harrison Barnes or if you can't like actually put up a, a reasonable amount of resistance, then you're not going to play and you're going to, you're going to, kind of ruin everything for everybody and so it's it's been a tough dynamic that the Nuggets have had to work through but let's get let's keep this about Jokic because he really is like the only thing that is pulling the Nuggets back to the level of team that they were to his credit Harrison Barnes is having a terrific year so oh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people have been struggling to guard him not just members of the Nuggets uh, I, I think he's has a career best field goal percentage thus far this year and he's done a little bit more creation than past years. He has a, I, I think he's also career best assist mark. So uh, yeah, it's not, not just Denver that, that struggled to stop the black Falcon. <laughs> I just thought what a great nickname. <laughs> I just thought of this parallel because the Harrison Barnes thing, the Harrison Barnes story arc this year is very much like Tobias Harris, where is he worth the money he's making right now? No, but because he has improved so much this season, just like Tobias has, that the fan base of both Sacramento and Philadelphia don't really care that they're being overpaid right now because they are contributing to winning basketball, which kind of does show you just like, if you are just objectively good in helping the team win, they're real, it's really not that bad if you're overpaid, like probably both of them are. That was just kind of something I thought. And they are somewhat similar players in that role of a little offensively skewed, not much more creators than you think of pure scorers, but defensively neither is great, but they're also not like absolute sieves on that end. Just kind of, I don't know. Does that parallel make sense? Of course. No, I mean, you want, you want guys that are always going to show up and are always going to be solid and people that you know, you can count on every single night. Harrison Barnes is a guy who has turned into that level of player. It's a far cry from what he was with golden state back in the, the heyday of, of the, uh, Curry Warriors and, and the, the Curry Thompson conglomerate there. But uh, it has been 
quite nice. And, and I will say I, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing where Harrison Barnes is traded to because he's a, he's a perfect trade candidate for any team that's looking to kind of take their team over the top. Yeah, it's, it's interesting there. When, when you're talking about bad contracts, there's guys that just aren't good and are still getting paid a lot. And then obviously that's terrible. And then there are guys that are still helpful, like you mentioned, but are getting paid a lot. And then you have to look at it as like an opportunity cost kind of thing. So is it because this team is paying this guy so much money that they aren't able to get somebody else? Or is the situation kind of like what the Sixers are in right now, where they're, they have all their big contracts on the books already this is just like how much luxury tax is the team paying? It's not like if they got rid of Tobias right now, they could bring in another kind of tertiary, just below all-star level player. Like they wouldn't have the cap space to do that. So Tobias being there can only help. Like it, it, it only hurts from a financial standpoint and that the ownership is paying a lot more tax money. And would they be willing to make moves to help the team going forward, given those financial constraints? And right now they are, they haven't, indicated at all that the the franchise is, is not going to do things to improve the team because of financial restraints. So in, in that in that sense, it doesn't really hurt them at all that he's making more than maybe his market value would be. Sean, you kind of just triggered me because I had an econ midterm today, so I did not near, need to hear the word opportunity. Cost again. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've gone a little, it's already eight minutes in and we're already in a Harrison Barnes, Tobias Harris discussion. We should probably <laughs> work our way back around to Embiid and Jokic, the original impetus from why we had Ryan on here. Um, so Ryan, I guess we'll just go ahead right away. Like, I don't know if you want to, if you're okay being put on the spot like this, um, who would you pick if you had to pick between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic? Who would you pick as the MVP right now? Or, I mean, I'm guessing those would be your top two. But hey, it seems like the most most of the media who do, does have votes right now would vote for LeBron. Which I mean, I, I think LeBron's a reasonable choice, obviously. But I also think I wouldn't vote for LeBron over for MVP over either one of these two guys. But yeah, Ryan, like, who would you pick right now? The discussion around LeBron is sort of lame because it sort of feels contrived by ESPN and Clutch and, and Lakers fans and, and anybody that just wants to see their guy do well. Uh, this is a situation where you have two newcomers to the award with Jokic and Embiid that haven't garnered the consistent respect of the national audience. And you, you see LeBron fans and, and ESPN and Clutch and, and whoever you want to call as that, that, general, uh, that general movement. Uh, they're trying to get their guy an award and they, they sense an opportunity to get him a fifth MVP, despite the fact that I'll just say Jokic is averaging better numbers across the board than LeBron James right now. Like, like it's across the board points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, and less turnovers. So I don't know what we're really talking about here. Like, just because the Lakers have another really great player in Anthony Davis. So they, they have boned up on their regular season talents with Dennis Schroeder uh, signing KCP again. They have Marcus Saul. They have Montrez Harrell. Like that's I, okay. I'm, I'm getting on a tangent. I think that LeBron should be a distant third behind these, these two guys. All right. What I will, what I will say is that if you're voting for just MVP, I think that Joel Embiid is currently the leader in the clubhouse over Nikola Jokic. Whoa. And that is mostly because of record. That is mostly because of performance when these players are both on the floor. The Nuggets haven't really earned that right for Jokic to be the front for to be the front runner in the MVP race. 
but he has been the best player in the NBA so far. Jokic has been statistically the best player. He's top 10 in points, rebounds, assists. He has the league-leading BPM, league-leading war, whatever like whatever advanced number you really want to talk about. Oh, yeah, Jokic is leading right now. He has been unbelievable. And, and that consistency, his ability to stay on the floor, and his ability to play heavy minutes every single night has really kept the Nuggets in this race. I mean, like, you, you just laid it out there. I was a little surprised. I thought as, as the quote-unquote Denver guy, you might come in with, Jokic needs to be the MVP, but um, I mean, so I'm just wondering, because the way you're framing this, say that Jokic had the exact same numbers he had right now, like everything literally was the same, but the Nuggets were, instead of 13 and 11, uh, 17 and 7, just a half game behind the Sixers at 18 and 7, would you then think that Nikola Jokic should be the MVP? Yes. Yes, I would. And it's, it's nothing like, I, I think Embiid is an excellent player. I think he has been the second best player in the NBA this year. That is, it's, it shouldn't be a, like, I, I hope that doesn't feel like a slight because there are so many great players that, that Embiid has completely surpassed, especially in the East this year. Giannis, gone. Kevin Durant, not as consistent this year. Uh, that's, that's just the, James Harden, not as consistent this year. LeBron James, not as consistent this year. Steph Curry, very, very good. Definitely putting up a really a reasonable case there, but I think that Embiid has been better than him. I just happen to think that Jokic has been the best player in the NBA this year, and having seen him in person, having seen what he's done, uh, having seen the, his ability to kind of take over games in different ways and just put the team on his back, I think that he deserves that level of credit. If the Nuggets were winning more games, then I think Jokic should be the MVP. As it stands right now, though, I can't really make that claim. Yeah, just to circle back to LeBron uh, very quickly, you you mentioned, Ryan, that across the board, uh, Jokic has better numbers than Embiid, than um, LeBron, rather. Uh, Embiid also does, uh, as as Drew Hanlon was quick to point out on his Twitter feed. (laughs) I Um, bet he was. (laughs) Yeah, he's... Drew, if you have Drew Hanlon in your corner, he will he will go to war for you. That man is he's a he's a loyal trainer. <laughs> I'll oh, say yeah. that. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of people's arguments for Embiid is that the Sixers kind of fall apart when he's not available, and then the the easy counter for you know Denver supporters or whoever the the, the guy is that a fan is supporting uh they're quick to point out like well is it my guy's fault that they're able to stay on the court so much and they should be penalized because we don't see these like every fifth game they have to miss and then the team falls apart like shouldn't that availability and durability and whatever else you want to call it factor into the equation when you're thinking about this um for me i i just think Embiid has he's done so much to kind of add to his game this year and just seeing the ball handling he's done and it's still nowhere near the, the level of, you know, creation for others and everything else that Jokic does. I'm not saying that I'm just saying right. from where Embiid was previously to now where his reads of double teams are so much better. We we've seen in, in crunch time, he's like kind of gone ISO in games and taken like Kobe Bryant vintage 18 footers to like, put the dagger in, in the opposition and, and win games for this team. And he's shooting a career best from downtown and while being a little more selective and 
not committing some of the dumb fouls he did in the past. Just like everything across the board, he's gotten better. He's gotten smarter with his game. And the on-off splits are incredible as everyone's, you know, want to point out with them. It And, and they're the best team in the East. I, I just, I don't know what else he could do to make a case for himself. And I think you kind of summarized it perfectly with it's team success plus individual success and that all gets thrown into a bucket together and right now Embiid has both where whereas other guys uh you know LeBron has it as well because Lakers are a half game out of first for the best record in the league but other than him who as we mentioned the statistics aren't quite as good for him as they are Embiid and Jokic nobody else has the the right, right level of team plus individual excellence right now that Embiid does so it's, it's hard yeah. to, to make a case otherwise. I, I tend to agree with that. I, I will say that I, I just want to ask you guys one question about the uh, the Sixers rotation in general. Haven't they been been keeping all of their their starters together for most of the time? Like like the, the rotations that they're currently doing. It's playing Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, all those guys at the same time. Is that correct? So according to Cleaning the Glass, the Sixers' starting lineup has 586 possessions together. Their next most common lineup, which is mainly the bench lineup plus Tobias Harris, yeah. has around 121 possessions. So, yeah, very okay. much in favor of that. Um, it's one thing I did – and the thing is that starting lineup that with uh, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Seth Curry, Ben Simmons is plus 16.6 per 100, which yeah. is – murdering teams also 14 and 0 in games they have all played together (laughs) right we've mentioned this before ryan but you are not a true sixers fan or sick person who covers the sixers till you mention the record with the full starting lineup it happens you guys are you guys are going full daryl morey on me come on now let's uh let's uh let's slow our roll just a little bit with this uh even though that team with the houston rockets was uh was obviously elite was obviously great uh, there, there is definitely some merit to that. There is definitely some merit to, hey, when, when you have your best guys on the court, you haven't lost yet. And that's a really big deal. Uh, what I will say, and kind of countering that from Denver's perspective, is that as, as great as that Sixers starting lineup has been, Denver's is worse. And Denver's is, is worse for a variety of reasons. Uh, Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap, Jokic is the, the, the five-sum that has really – been on the floor for most of the time for Denver and they've been good they've been a really really great offensive lineup and I think Jokic has done a really great job with those guys but take away Jokic from that group and that lineup just seems to fall apart I know that you guys tend to see the same thing with Joel Embiid but I, I've seen a little bit of at least self uh, uh, self-preservation with with Ben Simmons and and Tobias Harris they've been able to get through lineups just by themselves on occasion. I, I know that they've had some other bad games, but when Seth Curry is out there, it, it really makes everything click. I, I'm wondering from your guys' perspective, does that uh, boost Embiid's his, his actual personal case that he's, he's very dependent on that level of player, or does it, does it hurt his case that, that he's de- dependent on a guy like that? So what I would say, and I, I think – you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the argument you're getting at is, at least in some ways, that, like, because this is something I was thinking about going into this, is that Joel Embiid, this year at least, has been placed in a much better situation, and the players around him generally are all playing well. Tobias Harris is probably having the best season of his career, or if not the second best, one of those kind of things. Seth Curry is shooting 50-50-100. Ben Simmons... That helps. 
<laughs> ben Simmons, despite despite like his offensive struggles, which are well chronicled, I mean, Ben Simmons is such a good defender. He is Ben Simmons better than Jamal Murray right now? Still, at least how they're playing right now, I would say I would probably say yes. Uh, overall career, like context wise and value in like a vacuum, we could argue, but I would say right now he is. So where, I'd say they're about similar. Let's let's put them let's put whatever, them equal. Whatever it is, I think it's pretty easy to argue that. Joel Embiid has received more help from his teammates when playing than Nikola Jokic has. If I think, I think it might be a fair assessment, which I think does matter. Like, I mean, go back to, I mean, you can go back to other arguments for Sixers fans trying to argue in support of Joel Embiid saying, Hey, like if you put the shooting around him, it works or it's not always his fault or just, or look back at the bubble series against the Celtics where Joel Embiid was the only redeemable thing for the Sixers in that four-game sweep was how well he played. I would even go back to that that 2019 playoffs when you guys were facing against the Raptors. And oh, I, 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 I heard so – Seven minutes every time. I don't want to talk about – Again, every single episode. I, I just like – Greg Monroe was minus nine and one and a half minutes. I, I understand, and I, I remember the argument for Joel Embiid from Sixers fans was, look at how great we are when Embiid is on the floor. Look at how much we suck when Embiid is off the floor. That was, that was the, the basis of the argument, and it does hold merit. I, I will say that. From, from Denver's perspective on something like that, I would say that they're like, – and, and, and Will Barton has kind of stabilized a little bit. Paul Millsap has kind of stabilized a little bit. But beyond Jamal Murray, I think Denver's third, fourth, and fifth best players this year have been Monte Morris, Jamichael Green, and Michael Porter Jr. in some shape, in some in some order. And when those guys spend most of their time off the floor, when Jokic is on the floor, that's kind of a big deal from from normalizing some of those on-off numbers. They, Denver has been able to stay afloat because of what they've done when Jokic is off the floor but that doesn't necessarily detract from what Jokic has done when he's on and, and kind of keeping the nuggets in it. Three quick things on that. The Sixers this year. So according to clean the glass Embiid on the court, they're plus 11.4 and beat off the court minus 7.9. That is significant. Of course. Oh yeah. Uh, in those games, they are 17 and three when Embiid plays. So even though those lineups without Embiid actually do aren't that bad when he is playing, it's more like, and this is part of the thing, like you could argue Jokic playing in every single game matters, whereas the games when Embiid doesn't play, except for that Pacers game where they went to the Thibel-Ben Simmons zone to make the big comeback, it just really the, – the Sixers are not a good team, really, when Embiid is not playing. So it's like a, it's kind of a double-edged sword if you're arguing for that because it's, oh, this is proof that how much value he has, but it's also like isn't part of value of being available all the time. And then third question, Ryan, this is a big one. Is Isaiah Hartenstein your Greg Monroe? Yeah, there's a. I, I actually wouldn't say that because when Isaiah Hartenstein has been on the floor, the Nuggets have actually been pretty good. And, and it's, it's not like – I think that he does some good things. And, and he's got kind of a bad rap because when, when you're the backup center behind the superstar, you're obviously going to be worse than the superstar. And, and whenever anything goes wrong, you're going to get the backup out of there and get the starter back in. If, if the, if Denver star was a star small forward and you had Isaiah Hartenstein, I think people would feel a lot differently about him. The problem with Hartenstein is that he's just so limited and he, and he's so like, he, he has so limited positional versatility because he is a gangly seven footer because he has no, no floor spacing ability. 
uh, it's it's a it's a tough prospect that when, when you're when you're trying to work this this thing out, like they, Denver has really gone to Jamichael Green at, at backup center more than they've gone to Isaiah Hartenstein lately. Hartenstein's basically out of the rotation, and and I think that's that's been kind of deserved. Sean, I've kind of talked over you for the last few minutes. Uh, I think you were indicating that you would probably go with Embiid over Jokic. Any other further things you wanted to add to that? No, yeah, I I would um, at this moment, and I think. I, I kind of agree with Ryan's point just, and I kind of touched on it earlier, just team success plus individual success. If, you know, Denver got their act together a little bit more and ended up second or third in the West and Jokic kept playing how he is, would I be furious and think it was an outrage if, if he won MVP over Embiid? No, I think he's very deserving. I think you're at the end, you're kind of just parsing kind of intangible ideas of value at the end of the day and it's going to vary from person to person on on how you kind of consider these things and you know both these guys are are very worthy potential winners Um, but right now if you're talking about the Sixers are the first team in the conference they have a guy who everyone as you said has them in the top five consideration for the most valuable player in the league I, I just don't know why you would you know make this any more complicated than needs to be like he's been one of the best players in the league if not the best player and at his peak right now and the team is performing better than nearly every team in the league and everyone in their conference so you know it's pretty simple do we think there will be any angry Jazz fans, the fact that we are not meant to be the league record best Utah Jazz in any of their three guys? Because, I mean, the Sixers and the Nuggets fan bases, I think, have a little bit of beef with the Jazz for, like, one reason or another. Oh, yeah. We're, the, we're that meme with, uh, with the, to, the two strong guys clasping hands together. It's, it's Nuggets fans, Sixer hands, and hating on the Jazz. Uh, that's definitely a thing. Uh, no, and and here's the thing. Like, if of our MVP candidates, yeah, no way, no way. Uh, if if the Nuggets were to run up against the Jazz, I would still favor the Nuggets in a series. Like, that's that's how much I believe in Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray just kind of running their two man game to death, and and Jokic doing the things that he needs to do against Joel Embiid. Like, they they'll figure it out against that team. They they don't have any answer for the big wings. They don't have any answer for for the Lakers and the Clippers with LeBron and Kawhi. And maybe maybe you could throw Luca in there with the uh, with the Mavs if they could ever get their shit together. But like, I I tend to think that like, look, the, if if you're going for best player, I think it's Jokic. If you're going for best player on best team, I think you have to argue Embiid over LeBron. If you're going for narrative, then I think you probably go LeBron. And and that's that's kind of where this this whole debate centers for me. Uh, I will never go with the narrative because, or not not never, but like if the narrative is deviating from logic, then I I, I throw the narrative out and say, look, I'm I'm not going to do this. This is not fair to the guys who are putting up incredible numbers like Embiid and Jokic, and saying, guys, this shouldn't be that hard. They are both like Embiid's PER right now is 31.1. Jokic's PER is 31.0. They are just wildly better. Than, than anybody else in the league right now from an impact perspective. And I, I just can't hear anything otherwise. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... 
you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I know, like, not all Sixers fans love this guy because he has written about Embiid not being able to pass out of doubles of Matt Moore of Action Network. But I do (laughs) get this one great tweet, which was, um, there are two ways the Nikola Jokic-Rudy Gobert matchup can go. This is back after Jokic dropped the 47 on Gobert and and they ended Utah's winning streak. And was the first way was, Gobert battles as hard as he can, keeps Jokic under control, and the Jazz grind out like a very tough win in impressive fashion. And option number two, and all he just put is a dragon breathing fire and like annihilating something, which I, I, <laughs> but it is basically what happens. I mean, Jokic is, he is a special dude. And you know, it's, what sucks about arguing about these two is these are two of my favorite players in the league. These are two players of who I own jerseys of both of these guys because I like watching, I mean, obviously Joel and B for obvious reasons, but. I very much like watching Nikola Jokic play basketball. He is already the best passing big man who's ever lived. I said that back in the summer when we were talking, and now it's only gotten more true. He's not averaging 10 assists per game, but averaging pretty darn near close to it and just throwing ridiculous passes every night. He started doing that thing where, I mean, we've always talked about the water polo aspects of his passes, but now like I don't know how to describe it. He'll like flip the ball in his hands, like cupping it on either side. And he's just like tossing it back and forth until he decides what he wants to do. And, and there is an aspect to then just his ability to pass opens up so much for an offense in a way that even if Embiid has gotten better at dealing with pressure and knowing where to read his skip passing has gotten better. It's not the same as with Jokic, whereas I can't remember who described it as this. As so I forgive me, but like the, the way they described it is basically that if you Jokic ever sees where your double team is coming from, if he can see the guy coming to double him, it's just going to be an open shot every single time because he's never going to miss that read. If Jokic knows what you're doing, you're screwed, basically, which is, I mean, how many guys can you say that about in NBA history? Very few. It's, that, that it's really a LeBron tendency, I, I would say. Like, that's, that's something that Jokic has picked up. It's, it's a Magic Johnson thing. It's a LeBron James thing. It's a Larry Bird thing, and I th- I really do think it's a Nikola Jokic thing. And, and like, it's it's hard to take something like that for for granted. Or it, it's easy to take something like that for granted. Excuse me. Uh, I I will say, and there there is definitely the argument though for Embiid from a a two way perspective. Like, yes. I think that Jokic has has been a much improved defender over the course of his career, but there are still some things that Embiid does from an intimidation perspective that prevent opposing teams from 
having the, the quality offensive success that they, that they usually have. Uh, is, is there a way to kind of separate the impact that Embiid has on defense from the impact that Ben Simmons has? Because I tend to think that Jokic is, is in a really tough position defensively most nights because right now his starting lineup is Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Michael Porter, and a 36-year-old Paul Millsap. I think you can see it when there are certain matchups that aren't the best for Ben. Like the smaller guards in Philadelphia has has been a, a thing for years. Oh, yeah. And it's, Darren it's, Fox says hello. Like, good <laughs> yeah, was exactly. Like, that was we crazy. Knew, we knew what was going to happen as soon as we saw that game on the schedule. Like him blowing by for the Sixers for layup after layup was a hundred percent what I thought would happen. Yeah, right. he he was playing at a different speed than everyone else. Um, but yeah, you you still see, you so you see it in matchups like that where you can stick Ben out there, but there are still guys that are getting past the first line of defense and entering the lane. But then Joel is still there to just swallow everything up. And it's not always just blocking shots. It's him making reads when he has to be one defender against two and not only fainting at the guy. So he doesn't put it up like immediately, but then he recovers to like break up a lob or gets a deflection on a pass attempt to kind of knock it away and kind of break, break up whatever little uh, play they were trying to do there in the paint. And there's a lot of times where a guard will just dribble in like after having beaten his man and Embiid kind of steps up and they just think twice and they do like a vintage Steve Nash, like U-turn and get out of the lane and like try to set something else up. So yeah, like Ben's obviously a tremendous defender. He's, you know, first team all defense for a reason, but a lot of what the Sixers are able to do defensively isn't just Ben. It's, it's Joel down there, like directing everything. And just, there are games where it's, I, I wrote, after one particularly good defensive game, it's like a black hole of hope. It's where hope for the opposition just goes to die when they enter the paint. Like they're just, his instincts are incredible and his knowledge as you know, he's getting, having been in the league for a few years now, it's only gotten better. And just his size and uh, athleticism, you you just put it all together. It's a total package. And if people are, are trying to make the argument that the Sixers are only good defensively because they have have been there, then they really aren't watching what the Sixers are doing. Yeah, right. the way I would describe it is this. Like, if we're specifically talking Embiid versus Jokic defensively, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Ryan, because I had been meaning to get to this. And Jokic... Oh, don't worry. Let me let me help you out. Let me just, just spoon feed you that, that, that little assist right there. I'm, I'm a perfect Jokic clone. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jokic is a good defender, in my opinion, like a net positive, because he, I mean, just generally the fact that if you're tall and you know what you're doing, it is hard to be truly bad on defense. He has incredible hands that they call them like the snakes or stuff like that. They always reach down very great timing. I mean, Jokic has some of the best hand-eye coordination probably on planet earth. And that's what makes him incredible and why he's still good. But you still see it. Like there are moments in that Kings game where he's hanging back at the rim. The few times he is, because they usually like to send him up, but when he's back at the rim or if he doesn't play a possession really well it just like the other team can score on them and there is something to even if Embiid messes up his possession sometimes Ben Simmons will cover for him or other good defenders on the Sixers but largely for the most part it's Embiid covering up from everybody else because whereas Nikola Jokic is a good defender he does not necessarily increase your team's defensive like room for error if something sure. gets messed up it still goes bad 
Embiid is like a gigantic cushion to your defense and almost a guarantee that you at least won't suck on defense as long as he's out there because he is just so long near the rim, so quick, like in spaces that you don't expect him to be, so powerful. And as we've seen, he's increasingly gotten better at reading pick and roll coverages and like seeing tendencies and like fake, like Sean said, faking out of uh, the driver and then stunning back to the lob, getting steals. I mean, the Miami Heat game where he had 45 points, he was basically stealing the ball and run, running pick and rolls for himself because he was playing with Isaiah Joe, Isaiah Joe and Dakota Mathias the whole time. So it, it is just because Joel Embiid has those athletic abilities that Nikola Jokic, while not, a, not as groundbound as he used to be, still – is just not the same kind of dynamic athlete he is, or just I, Joel just covers more space on the court because he is bigger, a little bit quicker, and a little bit longer. And that really does matter in the grand scheme of things because even though Ben Simmons is a very good defender, even though Matisse Thibel is a good defender, Danny Green helps your team defense. All, the Sixers do not are a, just a better constructed defensive team than the Nuggets overall, I would say. It's right, and those are certainly helps things. Those are still individual wing defenders who, while important, are not as important as the back line of your defense, your team defense, which is what really I think can affect winning on a constant level is your team defense, which is usually anchored by that big guy back there. And Joel Embiid is what makes it all work because he's just he is the eraser of mistakes for the Sixers. Hey, I'm with you. I think that's a, a it's a pretty good way to describe it. Uh, I would say that. Nikola Jokic has no margin for error on defense. Like he, he has the, the length and the quickness uh, to, to kind of poke the ball away, get some steals. Uh, he does a good job actually of preventing shots at the rim because he's in good position. But when people do get to the rim, uh, opponents are actually shooting a very high percentage against the Nuggets. And, and for understandable reasons, like I'm not going to defend him for, for things that he can't really like – like he can't really do anything about like there's just not a lot that he can do. Whereas, whereas Joe Embiid is the margin for error for the Sixers. Like he is the margin. He is the guy who affords everybody that extra half step that they can play up on their guys, uh, be aggressive on the perimeter to try to go get steals, get in passing lanes, uh, take charges, things like that. Uh, Jokic has no margin for error. There, there is something to be said for that there. Uh, I want to read off their per game numbers, if that's okay. Just, uh, just I think that's that's a good it's a good frame of reference for this for this conversation. Uh, Embiid is averaging twenty nine point one points per game, which is unbelievable. Jokic is at twenty six point nine, uh, which still unbelievable, but not not quite there. Uh, Jokic is averaging eight point six assists per game. Uh, Joel Embiid is averaging two point nine assists per game. That's that's a three times margin right there. Uh, rebounding 11.0 for Embiid, 11.3 for, for Jokic. That's a, that's a wash. Uh, steals 1.4 for Embiid, Jokic 1.6. Uh, I'll, I'll give the slight edge to Jokic. He's had a couple of no assist, uh, no steal games lately, but he's usually up there. Uh, blocks Embiid, uh, doubles Jokic. Like there's, there's no contest there. And their efficiency numbers are great. But one thing I do want to point to, uh, Embiid doubles up Jokic from, from the free throw attempts perspective. Like there's nothing that Jokic can do to, uh, to get any more calls. What, what is it like rooting for a guy that actually gets calls going to the rim? Are you accusing Joel of flopping? 
What? No. Are you a, are you a Marcus Smart truther? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, what I will say is that there there are just so many times where where Jokic makes an incredible move and somebody pushes him on on the waist and like clearly fouls him, but because he's so big and because he's a two hundred sixty pound seven footer, pretty much like he doesn't get a lot of those calls, despite the fact that he makes a, a really good move. Whereas Embiid will will crash into guys and force a foul. And, and it forces the referee to call certain things. Is there, I don't know, like there, there's, it's, it, it's, it's hard to describe. They score in different ways. They're both really effective at it, but I think Embiid does it in more of a brute force manner. Yeah, there's a couple of things with Embiid and his free throw drawing propensity. Um, he, he also has a lot of plays where, he, you know, guys bump into him and he doesn't get the call. And that that's just the reality of being a seven footer in the NBA where, you know, guys like physically, they really couldn't match up with you. So the refs kind of realized that. And it, you know, it goes all the way back to the Shaq days where like they literally could have blown a whistle every play. Cause no one was as even in the same physically imposing neighborhood as Shaq was, but they just kind of let him play. And unless it was incredibly egregious, they weren't giving him the call. So there, there right. are still some of those calls with MB or non-calls, I should say. Um, but there, one thing he does is he falls very violently. So on the occasions where he does go, he, he drops to the ground so, like, it's like an earthquake of him. Just, and there's, there's, like, tremors of him just and, – and, and it's it, – it causes the refs to just, like, oh, well, something had to have happened there. Where... Yeah, and tell Nicola to get on the ground already. <laughs> so there's <laughs> yeah, Jokic, Jokic never falls to the ground because like he he just doesn't want to have to get back up again. Like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably smart, and it's it's why he is able to play every game. Whereas Embiid has had back tightness for all of 2021, so I'm sure that it's probably better in the long run that he doesn't do this. And if he misses out on an extra two to four free throws a game. Uh, and Q really cares, I guess. Um, so right. there's that. Uh, there's also, Embiid is very, he's very like analytical in watching film and seeing what kind of fouls get called. And he's really made it an art form of getting the, the guys reaching into my airspace. Let me do the rip through move and get that foul call. And he's, he's let the refs know that, Hey, if they're reaching in, you know, this is a foul. I'm going to do this move just so, and like, you have to make this whistle. That's, that's what the rule is. So he puts it in their head and then defenders do it because 95% of the time, that's not really something that gets called, but because Embiid has kind of made note of it and everyone knows he's doing this move at this point, when he does the rip through move, he gets it he gets the call like nine out of 10 times and it is a foul like by the book, but it's just not something a lot of guys will do because it's not quote unquote, a basketball play. It's him saying, Hey, this is an efficient way to make offense and I want my team to win. This is, you know, this is the best way that I can help my team win in this moment is by getting to the foul line where I'm an 81% shooter. So he gets a lot of those. Like I would say maybe, two to three of his trips to the line. So, you know, between four, four to six of his attempts or game are probably on the little rip through move where guys foul him while he's 15 feet from the basket. And he wasn't really going to shoot a jumper except they were, they were in his airspace. So he got, he did his little move and got to the line. 
So that, those yeah, are the I, kind of two things I've noticed with it. No, I, 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 it, it's a good play. It's, it's a good way to get to the line. It's a good way to get free, easy points. Uh, he averages 11.4 free throw attempts per game, which is a career high for him, I'm pretty sure. Jokic averages 5.5 free throw attempts, which is also a career high. And he, it, it's, it's not like he doesn't try to get to the free throw line. There's just so many things. And he'll, he'll, he'll look to a ref and, and he'll – be be pleading to a ref to make a certain call and the ref will just deadpan look back at him like like hey i i am tony brothers i really want to make this call and i really want to throw throw you a technical foul like that's that's tony's specialty with with nicola uh it's uh it's Jokic versus the refs it has always been a a problem because he he wants the respect that that superstars get and and he's starting to get it in a in different places like he actually leads the i I not leads the league anymore but i'm pretty sure at one point he led the league in non-shooting fouls where where it's the it's the off ball fouls or it's hey he tries to make a move but he's still in his move and so obviously he's not going to get free throws for it but it is a foul and they did call it so there there are different ways that they draw fouls and different different uh strategic ways that they, they do these things but uh, and Bede really has mastered the, hey, I am definitely shooting here, and you must call this. Yeah, so a few things I wanted to touch on there. Like, you talked about Joel Embiid with brute force, and that's actually one of the things that I'm not necessarily, like, obviously Joel Embiid does use brute force to score and generate foul shots, but I think him and Jokic actually do this better than a lot of guys, which is why they're, I think they're the two most efficient post-up bigs in the league. They were last year, and I think they are again this year. I haven't checked yet, but because – Neither one of them, when they have a small guy on them, freaks out and just lowers their shoulder into them. And Bede will kind of like slowly back down just enough that he's not like he like as long as there's not the motion, the visible motion of him lunging his body forward. If he's just kind of like maneuvering his way slowly back down there, he can get it. Whereas Jokic is usually like, I mean, he's not as doughy as he used to be, but because he still is a little bit, it's kind of like. Same thing, he's just like kind of slithering his way down there, like spinning back and forth, all his little pivots until he eventually gets right. The, that's why they're both able to do that. And then on top of that, both of them are shooting better from mid range and three than they ever had before. So if they're no longer afraid, like if a team backs up, they're just going to take that jump shot and they can make that. So that's part of why they're both so good at that. But also, when talking about why Embiid is getting more foul shots than Nikola Jokic and yeah, on a per 100 basis, Embiid's almost around 17 per 100. Jokic's at seven and a half. I mean, seven and a half is fine. 17 per 100 is crazy good. But this is something like, so I was doing research on Northwestern basketball, which lost again the other day. And one thing I found is that in their Big Ten games, they are shooting seven less free throws per game than their opponents, which is a huge difference. And it, I was kind of thinking, why is that happening? And it's a theory I've thought of before, but basically that if you are not super athletic and mainly athletic in terms of like vertical bounce, I feel like it's going to be harder for you to draw fouls because if you can jump higher, I feel like it's easier for refs to see the contact happening. It is, if you're below the trees, so to speak, it's just like when they don't see you get off the ground, they're kind of thinking like, eh, there's, there's a bunch of guys swinging and hitting each other in there. How am I supposed to tell who hit who, who's at fault? What am I supposed to call there? Whereas, I mean, a great example would be like young LeBron James elevating above everybody. It's very clear when someone touches his arm or Joel Embiid rises up for that jumper. He gets off, like 
just look at the difference in their jumpers. Like, I mean, sometimes Embiid will stay down, but Embiid often going to the rim, he'll take off a little bit. And he's not, even if he's not the most, the most vertically explosive guy, he's still a little more than Jokic who, I mean, you've seen Jokic's jumper enough to know he doesn't get off the ground very high on that thing. Like it is very much just like, because they can get up quicker, up higher, get above their opponents. It's just easier for refs to see what is happening. And I mean, there's other probably things that along those same lines that correlate to that, like athletic players generally get to the rim more because it's easier for them to shift one direction and get by people. They're a little bit quicker, all that kinds of stuff. But just the idea that if you jump higher, it is easier for refs to see the foul calls happening. And getting back to where I started, that's, I mean, Northwestern probably has one guy who's like an above average leaper on their team, which is, uh, I I talk about Northwestern basketball on this pod already. It should be 0% of the time. I talk about about 1% of the time, which is too much. So I'll end it there. But yeah, like that, that's kind of the one idea I've had just like, it helps to get up when you want to get those foul shots. Oh, I'm with you. Like that's, that's definitely the, it's not the reason, but it is definitely a factor uh, with this. And it's been a factor with Jokic throughout. It's just, he has to operate his game in a variety of different ways, just because there, there are a lot of reasons for him to be athletic disadvantaged. And, and that is, that is going to be a factor that plagues him for the rest of his career. Though, if he continues to play at this level, I'm sure that as he continues to develop better relationships with referees, as he continues to get established, he'll get more calls and, and he'll draw more fouls on a more consistent basis. Uh, would you, I, I wouldn't say that Embiid is dependent on the free throws. It's just a, a factor for why he has, has been as effective as he has. It's, it's been one, one of many factors is what I will say. Um, do you think that's going to translate to the playoffs? Do you think that's going to translate to playoff success when, when whistles are a little bit tighter, when they're not going to go for certain things, when guys have a little bit more time to study his moves and they're not going to be reaching in as many cases? You know, I was actually thinking about that the other night when he couldn't get too many calls against Marvin Bagley when the Sixers were playing the Canes. If they won right. the, the fourth quarter and Bede made shots. Uh, Tobias did Tobias things. They, they all turned it around in the end, but uh, – Yeah, that is something I have worried about. And, I mean, you talk about, like, just being so mad that when guys swipe at Jokic, he can't get fouls. That's how all Sixers fans felt when Gasol would, like, hack the living crap out of Joel Embiid in that playoff series and just never get fouled for it. Uh, Sean, like, I mean, I I think that's a reasonable concern. Sean, how about you? Uh, I'll just say that in last year's playoffs, he averaged a shade under 15 free throw attempts per game. Okay, that's pretty good. So I don't. It was against the Celtics, though. <laughs> let me let me let me make that blatantly clear that that team has no answer for physical players. Yeah. So uh, yeah, obviously, as you mentioned, the Celtics, the Embiid is the one area where they just don't have an answer, and that that's been the Sixers' one saving grace anytime they face Boston in the past few years. Um, but yeah, even uh, two years ago, I, I pulled it up. He averaged you know, eight free throw attempts per game in the playoffs. Uh, so, I mean, that's obviously a Pretty little, good. yeah, it's still really good. It's a, it's a lower than his pace this season, but it was pretty comparable to what he was doing two regular seasons ago. So it's not like there was a drop off in too much. It's a little bit of a drop off. He was averaging 10.8 in the regular season two years ago. 
And then Man, Jokic, Jokic averaged 4.2 free throws per game last season <laughs> in the playoffs. It's just sort of funny. Like, like just looking at and, and discussing the differences in how these guys play as, as, elite as they both are with their big man tendencies, they're so different. They, they play the game from the post in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, again, I'm, I'll, so I'm not concerned about it. And I think the playoffs actually help him beat a little bit more because there's no back to backs and he can be out there. Like they're not worrying about him being saved for, what used to be an 82 game season and now is a 72 game season. So he can, he can really ramp up the intensity in a way he can't during the regular season. So sure. I, I, I understand your point that the whistles, especially in the fourth quarter of playoff games, they, they swallow them a little bit more and yeah, guys are going to be schooled a little bit more in the film room and say, Hey, Embiid's going to do this. Like don't reach in when he's 15 feet away from the basket. So yeah, maybe that'll dry up, but I still think he's going to be around at least nine to 10 attempts per game. Maybe, yeah, maybe it won't be 12 like it is now, but I, I still think it will be enough to incre- create very efficient offense. And I, I'm not, it's not something I'm overly concerned about. And I'll, I'll just add on here at the end in years past, I might've been a little more concerned because I mean, foul drawing has always been a big part of his game, but like now that he's kind of added this ability to just, he hits those face-up jumpers so much more now. It's kind of like just another counter he can throw at them. Like, oh, I guess I'm not getting as many foul calls. I'll just make every 16-footer I'm taking. Yeah. Now that he shoots 60% from 15 feet, I feel good about it. That is a pretty good That's that's not bad. (laughs) Not bad indeed, guys. Before we get going here, I do want to say I would pick Joel Embiid too. But, again, if anyone picks Nikola Jokic, you are fine in my book. I think Jokic is incredible. Love everything about him. The point here is not like we made for this is framed as the Jokic versus Embiid debate. And I, we, but we don't want Sixers and Nuggets fans turned against each other. We want a cordial relationship. We are united against those voting for LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi. We are united against the New York and Los Angeles markets, against the Boston Celtics, against the Utah Jazz. Embiid and Jokic have brought back the true great offensive centers and post up offense. They are the last remnants of it, and they're in both in great ways. We are united front, and we're glad that we could have Ryan Blackford on to talk about with us. Ryan, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it, guys. And, and before before I mention that, I'll just say, like, hey, man, if Joel Embiid could stop ducking Jokic from from Seth Curry getting Whoa. COVID, then that would be that would be that would be so helpful. That would be so great to 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 just kind of uh, to get our to get our creative juices flowing out there again. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just joking, of course. Like he has I, a baby, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait for these guys to to face off again uh, in the, in the second half of the season. I'm, I'm rooting for that matchup because when, when you have like the, these guys are number one and number two, in my opinion, in the best player debate for right now, uh, through 23, 24, 25 games of the season uh, that it's just been incredible to watch both of them. I think that they're both great. Uh, and I, I look forward to seeing who comes out on top in this, because I think that the nuggets are going to bounce back, probably going to be a top four seed in the West. And at that point, if, if Jokic is still putting up these numbers, then then maybe this is a closer this is a closer question than anybody in Philly is, is really hoping for. He is Ryan Blackburn, the site manager of the excellent blog Denver Stiffs. Go check it out and go follow him, follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn.
Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the pod with us, even though you hate Joel Embiid's baby, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much, Ryan. And Sean, I will see you next week. I'll talk to you next week, Daniel. Uh, hopefully the Sixers will still be in first place and we can remain a positive podcast. They're playing the Blazers tonight. They will probably lose to CJ LB place again. That's all. Yep. Can't stop them. All right. Bye, Take everyone. Care, everyone. Bye, guys.